I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. What happens at each school committee meeting has big implications for our students, our city, and our state. And this podcast shines a light on the decisions our leaders are making. Last night's meeting addressed topics that have been in the headlines over the past two weeks, including COVID-19 testing and outbreaks, the new exam school policy, and inadequate staffing, particularly for our English language learners, and to support the mental health of our students and staff. We heard reference to each of these topics in the superintendent's report, and then we heard more detail and calls for action on each topic during public comment. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Um, Terrific. Uh, Last night's meeting was really relatively a short meeting. It was just about four hours, Jill. And there was only one brief presentation at the end of the night about Mass Corps. Really, the stars of the evening were, without a doubt, the 41 parents, teachers, and community members who testified during public comment. Yeah, there have been a number of issues bubbling to the surface over the last few months, issues that you and I have talked about week after week on this podcast. And there's a difference between acknowledging what needs to be done and doing it. We saw this dichotomy on display during a conversation about the district's COVID-19 testing protocols. So you may recall over the last couple of weeks, we've been hearing a lot about the Curley School. The Curley School has been closed due to a significant uh, COVID outbreak. I, I should say that they it, the building has been closed, but they've moved to remote learning for, for their students. The school is due to reopen for in-person learning on November 22nd. Here is the superintendent, her comments about the Curley School. The spread was across 21 classrooms, 63 students, and, and we went from about 100 rapid test and stay um, tests being given to 500 uh, tests being given um, and being performed. On, and that made it really difficult to keep up with close contacts and to contain the spread. So the superintendent suggests that now that things have snowballed out of control, she's stepping in to provide leadership and better guidance on how to implement COVID-19 testing across the district. And so um, this, is, this is a very low number. However, when we have rapid spread, that is what we are trying to get to the bottom of to be able to uh, make sure that we have a rapid protocol for uh, when we see spread that happens over multiple classrooms very quickly. Um, that is what we're regrouping about. And that is what we want to uh, make sure that we shift our mitigation efforts uh, so that we can ensure that it doesn't happen again. And we've learned from this situation um, and we're gonna be sure our schools are, are properly staffed uh, to handle these types of situations when we have the rapid spread and in such a short time frame. And we'll be putting in place this new guidance and providing additional training uh, for our staff. The superintendent is talking about when we have rapid spread, but a nurse who works in BPS says, look, it's almost December and we aren't running the COVID-19 testing program the way we should. She then provides commentary that suggests that Boston Public Schools wouldn't have rapid spread if protocols were communicated and being followed. I did not hear any measurable goals. I did not hear measurable timelines, and I did not hear solid measurable logistics of how these goals will come to fruition and when. It's November and it's almost December. We clinicians at BPS are having a very difficult time with the vagaries around a fairly concrete subject. What we're witnessing on the ground in schools is negligence at best. Here is what us nurses are seeing on the ground. 
Home health checklist. BPS does not offer guidance to families beyond a home health symptom checklist, which leaves an inordinate amount of burden on a family to obtain clearance from a physician to return to school. The document does not offer guidance on what to do if you are a physician or if you don't have insurance, which many of our families are experiencing. Vaccination clinics are not offered district-wide at this moment. BPS leaves it to schools to determine how vaccination clinics are hosted in each school. That is completely inequitable. My school is able to offer a COVID clinic every three weeks and other high schools have none. Pooled testing. We have inaccurate pooled testing lists through our CIC and medics contracted agencies who are receiving millions of dollars to do this work, if not more. These discrepancies have resulted in students being tested who shouldn't been tested, students who should be tested who are not being tested. Both of these are violations of patient rights. We Excuse have me, saying, if you could please wrap up. Sure. Um, we have inconsistent testing kits. We don't have isolation rooms for our students. We don't have transportation for symptomatic students. We don't have a successful contact tracing program, and we don't have a successful absentee program. Thank you. And Jill, I would just like to remember, we, we had this long conversation about COVID testing very early on in the pandemic. And a number of these issues were raised as part of those conversations. And again, they're coming up months into being back fully in person. But now they're coming up in real life. Exactly. Not just theoretically. They're, right. And so they're all coming, they're all coming to fruition. Yeah. Then Jill, we heard more about the new exam school policy. Leading off the discussion was a superintendent who, before sharing new simulation data, stated that the policy was a result of many months and hours of public meetings. The policy was designed to ensure diverse representation from Boston public schools, neighborhoods, and populations of students toward the ultimate outcome of seeing the enrollment at exam schools more closely reflect our overall enrollment. The policy was carefully crafted over many months and hours of public meetings, and we heard many more hours of passionate testimony in favor of the new policy, as well as from some of those who believed it did not venture far enough towards equity. This committee has heard from members of our community who have expressed their doubts that the policy will achieve equity and further will create unintended consequences for students across a specific set of schools. For the record, Jill, I wanna be clear here. The term unintended consequences, which is often used, which was often used in last night's meeting, yeah. was actually bought up by Michael O'Neill originally to solve for exceptions like those which the public is now worried about. Schools with students who may not get any seats for the exam schools. Whole schools, actually. Potentially. Yeah. So then, Jill, we hear from a father in BPS who says that the superintendent is not correct when she classifies the exam school policy recommendation as something that came out of a public process. So uh, superintendent just said that in, the, in her uh, presentation said that um, this exam school admission policy is well um well defined because it went through a couple months of uh, discussion. That's it's true. It went through a lot of discussion, but the turn point, uh, uh, the, but the, the turn point, actual point was added in the last meeting. Also the 20% uh, uh, citywide murder-based uh, seats was removed at, at the last minute. So it's, it, it's not 
it's in a rush. Every time in a rush. In the last minute, everything changed. Jill, as we understand it, this comment is correct. The policy that was recommended by the superintendent and which was adopted by school committee is different than the policy that was recommended to the committee in July by the exam school task force. Ross, that's right. And as we have been summarizing what's happened last night at school committee, there have been calls continuously for the data and the simulation behind the new, uh, behind the new exam school policy. This was finally, to some extent at least, delivered to the public last night. And the superintendent had this to say. Last uh, school committee, I was asked to bring back further simulation data on our new exam school's admission policy. Specifically, members asked me about the concern brought forward by some families that some schools had zero chance of getting a seat at one of our three exam schools. I'm happy to report that our simulations bear out that this is not true. All schools have an opportunity for students to receive an invitation to a BPS exam school. Ross, so this is interesting. First, the superintendent suggests that it was only at last school committee meeting that she was asked for this data. I mean, this is just a minor thing, but she was asked for this data and the simulation in many, many meetings, going all the way back to when the policy was approved in July. She was asked for it both by the school committee members and by the public. And then there's the data that was provided last night. This BPS parent took issue with the data that had been left out or has not yet at least been provided by the superintendent and Boston Public Schools. The other thing I just want to say is that I think there are still some open questions um, that parents are really interested in getting answers to. One is the spreadsheet does not show how many students are admitted from each school who received no bonus points. Um, So in other words, how many students get in from school X um, who didn't get either 10 or 15 points. Um, I think that's really important uh, to families so that they can start to sort of understand what the landscape looks like for their, um, for their children. And then we heard from those children. Many students spoke out about the personal ramifications of the policy. Here's one of those students. As a sixth grade student at the Dante Alighieri Montessori School in East Boston, I asked the school committee to reconsider the 10-point exam school admissions policy. These 10 points are more of a penalty to my entire graduating class, which is only six kids who will not be able to get into any exam schools. My school is one of the five public schools that do not meet the 40% economic disadvantage threshold. My great small school is 38.7% barely missing the cutoff. He then went on to say, These 10 points will now feel like a penalty against us, despite all our hard work and effort that we've done over the past eight years. So please, I beg of you, remove the 10-point system or give the six of us 10 points too. There were many students and parents from the Alighieri who spoke last night. The Alighieri is a small BPS school, which sits in East Boston and is the only East Boston school to not receive the additional 10 points awarded in the new policy. School committee member Dea has been focused on this issue for many meetings. Last night, he reiterated that he's been asking for this data since July. He said he's been hearing from many parents in the recent weeks, and ultimately he called for a review and potentially a reversal of this part of the policy. 
I would like to raise the issue of maybe, um, uh, well, not maybe, considering whether to modify that 10 points um, at, at a future meeting. So I would ask that that would be uh, put on, on, on the next agenda. Um, I can raise that if, as appropriate during new business, um, but I would like to make that case, uh, you know, to my colleagues here, you know, the five of us that have that put this policy into, into place, that we can maybe make a better approach given the facts and circumstances today versus what we knew um, uh, back in, you know, back in July. So, Jill, this is a big deal. You know, this this exam school policy hasn't gone away. There's a major concern that when the superintendent changed the policy to having 10 points given to schools with 40% or more kids living in poverty. Mm-hmm. Without an exam. Without an exam. Yeah. Just grades for this coming year, an exam for future years. Right. That in fact, this this policy doesn't make sense and intensifies the impact on a few schools in BPS, not to mention schools outside of BPS, and almost eliminates the opportunity for them to get into an exam school. Right. Potentially completely eliminates it. Potentially. We don't know. And right. so here's what we don't know. The, we took a look at the, the data that was posted on the website that the superintendent alluded to last night, and we'll clearly post it on our blog today. We noticed that it's hard to understand the columns, the headers of the columns. But really importantly here, this table leaves out a significant part of the question that was asked, which is how do the 10 points impact schools for this coming year when we're only using grades? Correct. This table, what was presided last night, did not provide the data that was asked. Right, because the simulation that's represented in the model is from data that was used when students were taking the IC exam as part of the Right, and it simulates, enrollment. it does simulate what the entrances or the applicants may, may and invitations may be mm-hmm. when there is a year with both grades and the test. Right. But it does not give the data. Um, in fact, there's a mislabeled column where it says it gives the data, but th- that data is actually related to number of um, applicants, not related to the students who may be invited to an exam school when you're only using grades with the 10 points. Right. Now, Jill, I have to say something else about the data that was presented last night and is now posted on the BPS website. Right. The superintendent alluded to the fact that the tiers uh, the eight tiers. You may recall that there's eight tiers. Right. Tier one is the lowest income tiers, and tier eight is the highest income tiers. And these are neighborhoods across the city that are grouped by their income. And tier one mm-hmm. chooses schools first, mm-hmm. and tier eight chooses schools last. Right. We'll post a link to our website so everyone could check and put their address in and see what tier they're in. But interestingly enough, if you live in luxury housing mm-hmm. in East Boston on the waterfront, you're you're in tier one. You choose schools first. If you live in luxury housing in the South End, you're also tier one and get to choose schools first. So you got to really wonder here, is the district actually getting what they're intending to by giving some people access to choosing first who actually may not need that advantage? Yep. That's a good point. Now, on the topic of English language learners, this was in the Globe last week, Jill. You may recall, uh, we'll link to the article. There was real concern about lack of services for English language learners who have not been assigned to the right class for many years. And in fact, the pandemic has made it worse and not better. Here's what the superintendent said on this issue, which really only seems like she reported on it because it ended up in the Globe. 
I'd like to illuminate some of the challenges the district has faced in reporting the services rendered to our English language learners, um, not as an excuse, uh, but to provide context. In part, due to staff shortages, there has been a gap in data entry to reflect the services our students are indeed receiving. So the superintendent is saying this is a simple data entry issue, um, that all of this, these issues around being assignments for a number of years and access to appropriate native language services and so on, it's just a data issue. Well, it's a data entry issue. Data entry issue. Like, in fact, they have the data, the globe is wrong, and it did, the data just hasn't been entered. Totally. Into the There's system. nothing to see here. It's fine. Right. It's just a data issue. But there are families quoted in the Globe saying that this is their lived experience and pointing to a real lack of necessary resources, staff, and support. So maybe the issue is is bigger and it, deeper than a data entry issue. Yeah, it certainly could be. The other thing that the superintendent mentioned is that hiring uh, continues to be an issue at Boston Public Schools, not only for English language learner support, but also in the case of social-emotional professionals to support students and staff. This is an issue that's been raised to the forefront in recent weeks after a violent incident at the Henderson School. And the district has budgeted for these roles, but they have been unable to hire professionals to fill them. And they budgeted for them back in the summer, you'll recall. We, we used to talk about this a lot um, a, a months ago with ESSER funding, Jill. Right. And we said, look, you know, there's all these ESSER funds. Right. It, we have to deploy those funds as fast as we can to schools so schools can make the decision and, and hire necessary staff uh, for when students return to in-person learning. Um, and unfortunately, there was delays in those funds and delays in those funds getting to schools. Well, and getting out to the principals and the principals would have been doing the hiring. Exactly. Now we're living with the consequences of that. Right. And the vote that was scheduled for last evening on the closing of the Jackson Man, the Irving, and the Timothy was postponed by the superintendent, who noted that she needs more time with the families to ensure that there are clear pathways. And you recall, this is about adding a sixth grade mm -hmm. at the Blackstone, the Summer, and the Mendel. And I believe they're still working on that proposal to make sure that every student has a clear pathway in BPS. Right. The only presentation of the evening was on Mass Corps. And the update on the planning that the district continues to do to ensure that all high school students will meet these common graduation requirements. Essentially, the district is planning to roll out Mass Corps beginning with ninth graders next year. And they'll begin to go through a process, I believe in the coming months, around budget to make sure that schools have the appropriate budget, appropriate schedule, mapping of courses, and then, of course, facilities to ensure that our students all have access to the appropriate facilities, supports, schedule, classes to be Mass Corps compliant. And in all starting next year. So there's next year, ninth grade, the expectation is that all students will be taught to and expected to fulfill mass core requirements. Right. And so that our ninth graders next year mm -hmm. will be the first students when they're in 12th grade to have common mass core graduation requirements. So Ross, what, what do you make of the fact that the majority of last night's meeting was spent talking about three exam schools and how students enroll in one. And there was a tiny part of the meeting that was spent on Mass Corps and how we make sure that every ninth grader starting next year successfully completes that curriculum, which is supposed to help more students be college ready by the 12th grade. Does it feel unusually disproportionate to you? It feels very concerning to me, Jill. This has been brought up over and over again. And it was actually raised by members last night who said, look, we need to spend more time and focus on making sure that every high school, all of our schools, not, not just high schools, actually all of our schools, are high quality 
And then we won't be arguing over this finite resource of, you know, perceived high quality seats. And until we can get over that, we're going to continue to have this debate around have and have nots and who gets a quality education and who may not because we don't have common graduation requirements. We have such disparities between schools. So, yes, it was very concerning that the majority of the meeting last night was spent on this finite data around the exam school entry for tens of students when we have hundreds of students who are in schools that are struggling. Right. Well, that's what happened last night at the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Here are some of the questions that we think are worth asking. The temporary transportation contract with the bus union ended Monday. What is the status of this contract? And how does the district ensure that it is not in a transportation crisis in the coming weeks? There are significant staffing shortages throughout the district. How is this being addressed? What is the long-term plan for BPS school buildings? Is there an RFP to create a campus master plan? The superintendent mentioned it at the last school committee meeting. We did not hear anything more about it at this meeting. How will the tensions around the exam school policy be resolved? And what is happening with the ESSER funds? We'd love to hear an update. And of course, there are ways to engage and get involved. Testify at the next school committee meeting on December 1st and share your thoughts on how to address the issues facing your school. Reach out to Mayor Wu and the new city councilors to discuss your priorities for BPS. And of course, sign up for our email list at shawfoundation.org to provide feedback on this podcast, receive updates on our work, and to be notified when new podcast episodes are available. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston's students. Have a great day.